You came in and, and you thought that you had problems and now the devil's got one. I think it's just a powerful thing when we, I was saying there, maybe you could catch it. I was saying, you know, faith is lifting up and pulling it down. You know, you do that with the preaching. Did you know that? The word of God, sometimes it doesn't land in you because you're not pulling it out. So the word is here, but you know, this is, when we come together to worship, this is how I think about it sometimes. Open your mouth. <laughs> you don't have to eat, but it helps. I don't know about your mom, but my mom wouldn't like open my mouth for me. If I was hungry, I could open my own dang mouth. And well, it's like that with heaven. If you open your mouth and, and you sing worship and you sing praise, you actually pull heaven down to the earth. Our father in heaven on earth as it is in heaven. But that doesn't happen without the, the human agency inviting God back to the place that we gave away. And when we do that, and when you do that for your neighbors, you actually mediate for them and you ask God in spite of their sins to come into their home and do a miraculous work. And we need a miracle in our country. I don't think we realized how much damage it did to our nation when corporate worship was shut down. That's just something I don't think that we can allow to happen again, just because when the, when the grace lifts from a nation, what happens? Can God protect us? I don't know. And, and don't think like, hey, I'm just doing this for me to get free. I hope that you live a bigger life than that because your neighbors needed you to be here today. Your, your city needed you to be here today and to worship on their behalf before they even get here. And I think that's our nation needs us right now more than it ever has before. And we have found out that we need God. I'm, I'm starting a series right now called Perfect Family. Because we definitely have one. It's sarcastic. I was told one time, somebody said, you can't be a pastor. You shouldn't become a pastor because you're too sarcastic. I'm like, it takes one to know one. You didn't think that was funny? Should I? Yeah, see what I mean? Sarcasm is my coping mechanism for, for dealing with hard things sometimes, but perfect family. I think that um, no matter where you came from, I think that the more broken you came from, if I could just kind of maybe read a page out of your diary, I think the more broken family that you came from, um, the more you kind of secretly hope that your family, when you get one, because this might be pre-family for you in that sense, but you secretly hope that when you get a, a family and, you know, you get married and you have kids, or, or here's what I would say, uh, the church family, God sets the solitary in families. But when you get one, you secretly hope that it can be perfect. But, but perfect, have, it, see families are made up of people. Perfect people? Have you ever met people? Stop, stop reaching for perfect. Reach instead for something you can attain, which is called healthy. Perfect isn't happy, healthy is happy. And people from healthy homes know that their homes weren't perfect, but it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with healthy. And here's what I would say, Venue Church, health is not for you, health is for helping. And so sometimes we go to God and we're like, I want to be happy. And God's like, great, start helping. And we're like, I want to be happy first. And God's like, eat your veggies first and then you'll be healthy. And then you'll be happy. If, if you're kind of pre-family or in between family, I'm going to, this is perfect for you as well. I think the best time to fight a war is before the war. Because once you find yourself in the middle of it, things get weird. We're going to be studying uh, four messed up Bible families so that you can feel better about your family. Can I hear an amen, Venue Church? Thanks, Sean. 
We're going to be studying the life of Samson today, and if you think that you have problems, you don't compared to Samson. Um, Song of Solomon, Solomon that that wise man wrote uh, in Song of Solomon. Now, Solomon knew about messed up family. This is, um, maybe you don't know if, if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, but Solomon was King David's son that he had by Bathsheba. So Bathsheba was Solomon's mom, whom David had an affair with and killed her husband, who was one of his best friends, one of his top 30 guys in the nation, eventually of 1.5 million soldiers, he was one of the 30. And there was an affair, and, uh, you know, David killed Solomon's, what should have been his dad, I guess, in that sense, and had an affair with Bathsheba, killed his... And then they lost that child, and then Solomon was born to this unit. Solomon understands this scripture, and he's probably thinking, I wish that my dad would have done this a little bit better. Solomon himself didn't do this scripture all that well, as you know, so messed up family. You're going to feel so good about yourself after today. (laughs) Catch all the little foxes, he says, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. Little foxes, what's a little fox? He's saying, catch the little foxes. If you don't catch the little foxes, you won't reap the harvest that you want in family. Now, the harvest we've just decided is not perfect, it's healthy, but you can't be healthy if you have little foxes. So, so uh, Spurgeon says, a little thorn may cause much suffering, a little cloud may hide the sun. Yeah. Little foxes spoil the vines, and little sins do mischief to the tender heart. These little sins burrow into the soul. Little foxes, not big ones, little ones. Um, and, and he says something there, I just feel like I need to back that up. A little thorn may cause much suffering, a little cloud may hide the sun. When... When I talk about family, what naturally comes to your mind, what the devil wants to focus all of your attention on is is the things that aren't working. But I would submit to you that the things that are working and the things you do have to be grateful for that God has already done for you are quite a lot, you know. It's just a little cloud that's covering the sun. So it's just a little thorn. Yeah, but every time you step, it irritates you and it hurts you. And it's just a little thing. But what if we could remove the little thing? What if we could get to that thing? Come on, cohort families. What if we could actually get to those little things and remove them from our lives. Um, Spurgeon says the devil and his foxes will be sure to be at you. Therefore, endeavor to come as close as ever as you can to two persons mentioned by the text, namely the king and his spouse. First, keep close to Christ, for this is your life. And next, keep close to his church, for this is your comfort. Now, everything that God wants to do in your life has to do with family. You might think like, I'm lonely. I don't have any family. Small group, free friends, everybody. See, the the church is not an institution. Marriage is not an institution. It's family. And when you come into church, like, you can sit there and observe from the outside uh, for a while, you know. Uh, Reglan was telling me the other day, he's like, we just wanted to come to church and hang out for a year or two and not get involved, but y'all are so pushy. (laughs) And now he's making the coffee that I've had three cups of, and I'll have to take a bathroom break in between sermon sets. No, no, it's family. Start start thinking about it. The devil hates family. He knows that everything God wants to do in your life is to connect you with family. Everything. The way that God gets you free and keeps you free is family. The devil hates family. He wants to destroy it. He wants to tear it down. He wants to bring these little foxes in. So what are we talking about, Pastor, when we're talking about little foxes? So here's the word I want you to think of. Mindsets. Little foxes. Those mindsets. Those mindsets. Let's call them pathways. So... What do you mean? I mean, any addict knows that you have to correct a mental pathway that takes you there, yeah. right? So yeah. you end up here, but what, what pathway got you there? Or, or 
a heart person, the, the heart pathways, the emotional, the mental pathways that got you down to the end here where you don't want to go. Well, there's also pathways that get you where you do want to go. And so what we have to do t- today is we're going to talk about the little foxes, those little pathways. Now, how many people know that if you're out like bushwhacking in the forest, which I won't do, I will not dishonor the pioneers who came to this country. My grandfather lived and died so that I wouldn't have to go camping and live in the trees without electricity and TV. Can I hear an amen? Do we have any glampers in the house? Some of y'all love the woods. I don't love it. It's cold out there. But how many people know that, that nobody actually goes and walks right through like a whole pile of thorns to get to where you're going? If there's a pathway right here, you're going to take the pathway, even if it's not quite where you're going, right? And so mental pathways and heart pathways. See, the devil will tempt you with a little mental pathway or a little heart pathway that's kind of close to where you think you're going at the, at the start. But then what he does is he starts like turning it. Right, And all of a sudden, you know, an inch here is a mile over there. And then people come to pastor afterwards. And 20 years later, after a whole lot of decisions, you're like, and tell me God made me this way. And I'm like, you don't look happy and healthy. And tell me God made me this way. I'm like, I can help you or I can tell you that everything's okay. But you already know that it's not okay. So what we have to do is we have to deal with the little foxes. Now, imagine, see... We're going to talk today about Samson. Now, Samson was strong. He had all these strengths. And you have strengths that your family needs, that your church family needs, that your, your employer needs. You have these strengths that God made you. The reason that you don't think that you have strengths is because you're looking at somebody else's strengths and wish that they, those were your strengths, right? So I look at you, and I'm just like, man, I wish I could do what you do. And you look at me, and are like, you're jealous of me, and the devil just plays us like this. And then we don't pay attention to and work on our strengths and bring our strengths to the table because we're just mad that we don't have somebody else's strengths. And so, and then, and then you look at, at her Instagram account and you're like, she's the perfect mom. I'm just trying to get my kids out of the house with like a lunch and not having murdered any of them before school. You know, it's a win moms just take it some days, but you're looking at somebody else's highlight reel and not the lowlights. You know, you don't know that she exercises like that because she's not doing well with her husband, you know, or they're not living together. You don't know that. But it just looks good from the outside. Be careful of that because God has given you strength. Now, God gave Samson great strength. Think about this, though. Like, great strength is okay unless it's being used against you. So there's like a rocket and God wants to launch this rocket. But the support, what happens is the supports, if those supports let go a little bit early and it's launching, but, but the little foxes eat away the supports and it goes off kilter a little bit and inch here is a mile there. And then there's death and destruction and everything that you don't want to happen in your life. And so what we have to do is deal with those little mindsets, those little heart pathways. Because when your heart goes and your mind goes, your feet follow. Your eyes follow. Um, A little mindset goes a long ways. You know, when I was a boy, we used to, like, try to be men. And so one little boy by himself is decently smart. Not, Not overly smart. Our brains develop a little bit later. Women are not allowed to laugh at that. That's a joke for men. Kim. No, that's true. (laughs) We can't be too sensitive because that's what happens. Put two boys together and you're at 50% brain power. Six boys together and we're hovering around the 0% brain power. And what happens, you know, back then, you know, there wasn't helicopter parents. And so we were, we'd spend all day out, out with our bows and arrows trying to like prove our manhood, you know. 
And that was our thing. Like, we kind of wanted to be like our dads, right? And dads weren't afraid of anything. And so we're like, yeah, you know. So, so little boys, when they're trying to, you know, grow up and be men, they, it's just kind of this push-pull between meeting the angel of death and fleeing the angel of death. <laughs> oh, we could build that jump another 10 feet higher. We'll, nobody's going to die. We'll be fine. So what we used to do is we used to have bows and arrows, and we used to shoot these arrows straight up in the air. Like that. And the game was, we'd get a bunch of us in whoever's yard that mom wasn't home, and we'd shoot arrows straight up in the air, and then we'd all stand there and see who could stay there the longest before chickening out and running for cover. And whoever stayed the longest and got an arrow in the face was going to be the greatest man. And whoever chickened out could go hang out with his sisters. And we would sit there and try to see the arrow coming down. Can anybody see an arrow that's like that big in the sky coming down straight at your face? Like nobody can see that. And like, and we would just sit there like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> you know, and this was the thing about mental pathways. It's like some of them are like shooting an arrow straight up in the air. But they tend to come back down and hit you in the face. It's like a boomerang that, that the devil plans for you. But see, God has plans around the devil's plans. And God can, can get you back to where he wants you to, to be today. But until you break down the little things that you do, the little ways that you respond and react and freak out, um, until you break them down into your mindsets, into your heart pathways, until you do that, you'll always do what you hate and you'll never know why. So Aaron and I used to fight and I, I'm always up for a good fight. And so, but she in the middle of a fight, she'd just be like, and I'm rolling over and going to sleep. And I'd be like, I'm not done. And she would do this little mental pathway thing hoping to, that somehow in the morning when we woke up, I wouldn't remember what we were fighting about, but I did. Some of us adapt, like if I'm dealing with a situation, I feel like I'm out of control, I come home and then I try to control that because I feel out of control here. Or I feel like there's a loss here and I don't want to lose at home. And so my wife will be like, can you explain this thing to me? And I'll give her one word and expect her to read my mind because we've been married a long time. She ought to be able to, you would think, like after 20 years. I'm not that complicated. You would think that she could read my mind. She'd be like, I can't read your mind. I don't know what you're talking about. I'd be like, oh. But I'm, I'm really mad about this over here. Yeah. You know, or you have a bad day at work and then you go and eat four pails of ice cream. You know what I mean? Like we have these pathways that we go to. We try to regain control. We try to feel better about ourselves until you... To take them down to like, I've, I'm trying to regain control over this thing here, but it's, it's a pathway. And until you, the pathway is revealed, you'll continue to do what you hate. And, and you'll continue to try to just put a Band-Aid on it forever and not actually fix, like quit walking into the trap and getting hurt. And so, um, so there are some dis destructive mindsets in the modern family that I see right now that we had to deal with, I think, four out of five of these. I'm going to give you five. Now, these things are going to feel right to some of you. When I say them, you're going to be like, oh, that makes sense. And I'm going to be like, no, it does not make sense because that's the preacher's job to be like, oh, you thought that you were right. No, you were wrong. And so, but I'm going to show you, like, we thought that four out of five of these, that was just us. We thought that that was the way that it was, but it wasn't. And it became a pathway for us. And then God had to reveal it to us in extremely difficult circumstances that it wasn't right. So how many people know that you can learn through pain and suffering or you can learn by teaching? I would rather learn by teaching. But I'm super stubborn, so pain and suffering seems to be the way. Here's five destructive mindsets. Any one of these, I think, can destroy a family. Destroy your place in your work. Destroy your place in your home. Destroy your place in a church. I think any one of these is enough to do it. And we had four of them, so we were doing great. Here's, here's one of them. You ready? 
Here's a mindset that's destructive. I think I'm special. Now, nobody marries somebody who doesn't, you know, you don't marry somebody who's like, I don't, you know, if there's one thing I don't want you to do, I don't want you to think I'm special. <laughs> right? You want to go on a date and, you know, you're like, and don't treat me special in any way. You know? Well, it's fine for you to, you to, somebody to think that you're special, but here's the trick. You can't ever think that you're special. You're like, well, didn't God make me special? He made you unique, and yes, he loves you. But, you know, my, all my daughters think that I have four favorite daughters. They just think that it's them. Here's the, here's the trick, though. They're not allowed to think that they're special because special in our minds means that we are exempt from the rule book, exempt from discipline, exempt from I'm very special. I don't have to. You're going to see in Samson's life, he thought that he was special. He didn't have to do what everybody else had to do day to day to get up and not mess the world up and not light everything on fire, you know. Um, this whole idea that special is not exempt. If God made you talented and gave you a gift, with that comes great responsibility. Yeah. And um, um, Jose Mourinho, who's a soccer coach, <laughs> you into hockey? Am I, am I missing the mark? He was one of the winningest coaches, and he said, when, he, when they were asking him about himself, he said, I am uh, the special one. And he kind of was. The special one. Now, Jurgen Klopp, who's the great German coach of Liverpool Football Club, Heaven's team. When they asked him about what he thought he was, he said, he's German. I'm going to do my best German accent. I'm the normal one. And then he kind of starts smiling. And you know what? I, I got to be honest. He's, he's probably one of the best managers in the world right now. But his attitude is completely different. I'm the normal one. I thought, that's exactly how you need to think about yourself. I'm the normal one. No, I'm the normal one. I'm, not, I'm nothing special. If you want to treat me special, you can treat me however you want to, but I'm never going to treat me like I'm special. God loves all of his children. God doesn't raise spoiled children either, by the way. Uh, here's number two. Being nice matters most. Okay, if your goal is to be with somebody who's nice, it's the wrong goal completely. Because Jesus wasn't always nice. You remember, like, he goes into the temple, and he's like, ah! And he starts throwing tables over and freaking out. He's like, my, this was supposed to be a house of prayer and you made it a den. You monsters, you know? He made a whip out of cords and we're like, a whip is for whipping. Some of y'all, you take this thing and you just change it in your mind. Like he made a whip to scare people. He got people out of his father's. No, no, he didn't come to be nice. He came to save the world. Now, sometimes you're going to have to pick between the two of those things because here's what I know. The truth will set you free. Being nice will not set you free. And the truth hurts. Now, I'm not saying you go around and you just drop truth bombs on everybody. That's called being a big jerk. You're only allowed to drop truth bombs where God tells you to drop truth bombs. And sometimes somebody's got to drop one on you. And sometimes you've got to say, that's the kindest thing you could have done. Thank you. It didn't feel nice, but it, ultimately it is. And so being nice is not the most important thing. The truth is the most important thing. And I told the guys in the, in the men's Zoom call, you have to dig down in an argument till you find the truth until the truth wins. Not you. The truth. You might be on its side and you might not be, but my goodness, give it up to find the truth. Being nice is not the most important thing. Here's the thing. I can lie and be nice about it. Still lie. Yeah. Okay, um... Here's a third part that I see a lot. I don't think that we fell for this one. I think that we fell for all the other ones maybe. But, but this one here is this idea of, you know what? In your dark moments, you, you would fall for this. This idea of trade parts. So marriage is like a car. The battery lost its spark 
because my husband's a jerk and only thinks about duct tape. <laughs> I should trade him for a different battery who's got a little spark. My wife doesn't respect me at home. She'd respect me. All right, trade parts, trade parts. Here's what I want to say. Look, God can redeem any situation, and God can bring the isolated, the divorced. God can bring them into families and homes. God can do anything, and I've seen him do it so many times. But here's what I would say to you. Work hard to make the original car work. Divorce is a path that you can't back out of. Now, now God can redeem it. But my wife came from a divorced family. And I'm telling you, if you can make it work, make it work. Make it work. The body, your family is, is not like a car. It's like a body. You can replace the heart if you want to, but it hurts. And it doesn't work the way that the, come on. I'm saying, I'm saying it's not a car. It's a body. Transplants hurt. If you can, make it work. I mean, you're going to fight the battle one day and it's going to be 10 times harder than it would be if you just worked hard and tried to get this down. Don't trade parts. The church too. Can I say this? Don't transplant yourself from the church God wants you to be in. God wants you to be in one church. It's a family. You're like, I like this church and I like that church for that. And God's like, you walk down the street to the neighbor's house when they're serving lasagna because you like it. (laughs) Hey guys, here I am. What are you doing in my house? Man, get out of my house. Creep. If you transplant yourself from church to church, normally you'll do it right about the time God wants to show you something that you don't know. And you'll be like, I think that this church down the street agrees with me more. And God's like, what? No, I'm trying to teach you something you don't know. That's why you got to stay where you feel uncomfortable. Right? And it's just this idea. Like you can transplant yourself. And I see people doing it all the time, but you, you can't transplant yourself too much. It just doesn't work out the way you think it will. Number four, contentment and conflict can't coexist. I can't be happy in conflict. No, conflict is healthy. Let me show you. Uh, Unless you want to live in a marriage coma where nothing ever gets done, nothing ever gets dealt with. No, no, no. Destiny requires growth, and growth demands conflict. It's always conflict. There's always conflict. Peacemakers, I love you. I'm married to one of you. Conflict is a good thing, and here's what I know about conflict. If it's done right, eventually, when you learn how to do it right... God can bring greater intimacy on the other side of conflict than you ever had before. God can. How does he do this? I don't know. I'm not God. Ask him in heaven. (laughs) Jesus can, on the other side of betrayal and forgiveness, cause greater love than there was before. And I don't know how that works, but it works. On the other side of brokenness, God can cause a... make a mosaic that belongs to him that is a testament to grace and love and power. And God can do it. And it's powerful when that happens. Contentment and conflict can coexist. Number five, the last one, I exist to, you ready? This is probably the one that you'll have the hardest time with because this sounds very normal. I exist to be loved. So you get married and you have that baby and give me three sentences and I'll show you how wrong this is. I exist to be loved. Okay, ready? Number one. I exist to receive love, you exist to give it. Number two, I exist to take, you exist to supply. Number three, it's your full-time job to love me. Okay, here's what's actually true. Because if that was true and you exist to be loved, being loved is a byproduct, by the way. If you exist to be loved, 
then if everybody in the world loves you, then you should be happy. But here, you'll never be happy until you, ready, exist to love. For God so loved the world that he gave. If he came here to be loved, that's a problem. Right? If he exists, came here to be served, that's a problem. Now, sometimes you'll be loved and sometimes you won't. You exist to love. You exist to give it out. You exist to pour it out. Because if you don't, you won't even have a platform for love to land in your life. You'll think that your entire life, and then it's everybody's job. Here's a giant rock, Aaron. Love me. And if I don't feel good, it's obviously your fault. You're not doing your job right. You know, and then you come to Jesus, and you're like, Jesus, it's your job to love me. And he's like, I do, but what about your job? Don't talk to me about my job. Let's talk about your job. I can't love you the way that you want if you won't love me first, you know? Okay, Judges chapter 14. We're going to talk about Samson right now, and we're going to dig deep. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Some of y'all are going to learn that the Bible real messy today. Don't read your Bible at home. Only read it in church with the preacher. When he returned home, that's a joke to get you to read your Bible. Some very serious religious person is like, and that pastor does that. It's a trick. It's reverse psychology. It's a backwards mind trick. Jojo. All right. I'm not going to go in there. And I lost all my stuff. Okay. One day, a young woman caught his eye in the Philistines. All right, now he's shopping in the wrong field. Uh, when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. <laughs> yeah. Now, my home was a little Old Testament because I would never have said that, or I might as well just get on a bus to Mexico and try to make it work there. I like that girl. She's hot. Get her for me. Now, this is back in the day. This would be way even more ridiculous than that. Watch Samson's mindset, his pathways. Some of you have wandering eyes. Some of us have wandering eyes. Some of us have the sense of entitlement. Here's, here's what some of you have. You've been told you were special so long, you have what I call Jesus boy syndrome. You think that you're Jesus. You were told like, hey, you're special. Things were prophesied about you. And oh, you, you think you're Jesus. You're not. You're just a person who thinks he's Jesus. That's a problem. And so he, he did, though. He'd been told he was so special for so long, he didn't have to do what everybody else had to do. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe, like serves our God among the Israelites you can marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? Somebody, like, I'm going to say this to you. Some of you, you're lonely, but you're looking for love in the club. Yeah. You're not going to find love there. You're going to find a lot of lust there. But the beauty about, about marriage is its exclusivity, yeah. meaning... She only has eyes for me, and I only have eyes for her. Now, we don't get that right all of the time, but I'm just telling you, like, that's its beauty. That's what marriage is. That's what you want. And you don't find that, and he doesn't, he's not going to find it there, you know. Marry a venue church girl, guys. Not my kids, but... <laughs> I mean, you know, there's other girls, right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Man, what are you talking to your dad like that for? His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines, uh, who ruled over Israel at that time. Um, what they should have done was send him to his accountability partner, but he was so special that he didn't have one. 
Because sometimes you're, you're, there'll be a time, mom and dad, where, when your kids don't care what you think, but their accountability people will. They're, you might be lonely right now. I'm just saying, like, get in a small group. Free friends, man. Free brothers and sisters in Christ. It's free family, I'm, I'm telling you. And, and there will come a time when my kids and youth won't care what I think, but they'll care what the youth leaders think. That's right. right. So there's power. But Samson was special. He didn't need that. He says, see, we're going down to Timnah. A young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. This happened to me a couple of times. And he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. I've totally done that. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. The Bible's real. But he didn't tell his father or his mother about it. Now, this seems odd to me. I think he had a secretive mindset. Like, if I got attacked by a lion and I actually did something that was awesome like that, I would be telling everybody in the world how awesome I was, you know, how awesome this thing was. But he didn't. It was just a, the, the strangest thing. Um, when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Well, I don't think it was hard to please Samson. Um, if you want to fish for an idiot, just wear tight clothes. If that's all you want, and you want to keep fishing forever. Um, I'm, I'm sure he asked a lot of deep questions. Like, in this situation, what do you think that I should do? No, man. He had a shallow mindset. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. He found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it, but he didn't tell them he had taken it from the carcass of a lion. This is all super gross and stuff, but... What you don't know is that his, his, um, his Nazarite vow uh, made it, made it, it was breaking his Nazarite vow because he wasn't supposed to cut his hair, you remember? But he cut his hair and then he lost his power, but he also wasn't supposed to touch the carcasses of dead things. And so he did it. And now because he had a secret at first that wasn't really a harmful secret because he killed a lion, but he didn't say, but sometimes you just shouldn't keep that secret either because it led to something that was harmful. And now he's bringing his parents into his sin as well. And he shouldn't have been touching that carcass. That was the vow that his parents took for him when, when, for God to use him. As they were making final arrangements, Samson threw a party, and as was the custom for the elite young men. When the, you'll see how elite these men are. Uh, when the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. Where were his church friends? You know, <laughs> Samson didn't have any friends. You know why? Because you got to be friendly to have friends. Some people are like, I don't have any friends. Nobody loves me. I'm like, well, try being friendly. You didn't like that? Okay. I'll just transplant myself to the church down the street. They'll like it. Um, Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. And then he, he creates this out of his insecure and competitive mindset. These are brand new people. He makes a riddle up about, uh, he said, out of the, the one who, came, uh, who eats came something sweet to eat, sorry, and out of the strong came something sweet, meaning like the honey is in the carcass of the lion. And he's like, and I'll bet you 30 changes of clothing that you're not going to get my, my riddle right. So this was a lot of wealth in the day because you might have like two changes of clothing and this was like handmade stuff. So it was expensive. He made this, this ridiculous bet. He's like, I'll get 30 pieces of clothing for you and, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, if not, you owe me 30 pieces of clothing. He makes a stupid competitive bet because you're just an insecure mindset. It says, on the fourth day, because um, they were trying to figure this out from Samson's wife, they, they said to him, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Some of your friends will burn down your house with you in it. Some of y'all need friend upgrades. 
but God can't give you an upgrade because you still got the old software. Is that how computers work? I'm not sure if it is or not. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? And she's like, I didn't, what? I didn't make you bet something stupid. So Samson's wife came to him in tears, like, this is kind of honeymoon stage right now. You don't love me. You hate me, she said. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. He goes, I haven't even told the answer to my father or mother. Why should I tell you? Samson, gifted communicator. (laughs) First real conversation they've had, right? He's like, I don't have to tell you nothing. I'm special. (laughs) So she cried whenever she was with him. That's how to keep a guy. And kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young man. Man, he didn't even ask questions at first. He's just like, you look good. Let's do this, you know. And um, they came back and, and they responded. They had the answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson replied because, again, he has a gift with people and with the ladies. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Like, even the dumbest guy is like, dude, just called your wife a heifer. I was trying to figure out a way to be like, hey, this might have been a normal conversation back then. This is not going to be a normal conversation ever. It was just dumb. (sighs) Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings, and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. This is how complicated it gets when you have bad mental pathways, bad heart pathways. Can you believe this? Like 30 changes of clothing. I got the clothing for you guys. They're like, there's a lot of red streaks in this. Like, yeah, it's saying, you know, it's in style. I'm telling you, the Bible's messed up. You should read it. Samson was furious about what happened and he went back home to live with his father and mother. He got mad. He took his ball. He went home. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Watch the fracturing upon fracturing upon fracturing because he never caught the little foxes in his life. That's it. All of his great strength, who cares? Later on, it says that he took a young goat as present to his wife. And, and so he's like, hey, can I sleep with my wife? But his father wouldn't let him in because right, she's not there. Like, hey, everybody remember me? I'm also, you know, I got mad. You know, I got a little bit mad and I stuck off home and then I killed a bunch of guys and then I did the bet thing and then I, can I sleep with my wife? This seems normal to him. I truly thought you must hate her, but here, take your younger sister, Mary Hearn said, this time in self-righteous mindset, he says, I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines now. Like, how is he mad at the Philistines? This is kind of his fault. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Then he went out and caught, ready, this is our scripture for today, 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs. Now he catches foxes. And he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. Come on up, um, worship team. Um, I feel like I just need to cut kind of kind of where I was going with the sermon, because I feel like it needs to go in a different place here, but I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, you know, God was looking to punish the Philistines because the Philistines hurt Israel and hurt them a lot. Um, It says Samson judged in verse 20 Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. There's something telling in there that he got all of his strength 
but he judged Israel for 20 years while the Philistines dominated the land. And I thought to myself, God gave Samson a gift so that the Philistines wouldn't dominate the land. But because Samson never caught the little foxes, what happened was one day he finally catches foxes and a war starts. But I can't help but think to myself, could God not return your life to the place where you actually just go after the little foxes? Because Samson, what happens to him later? He never had a wife. He never had kids. He never had friends. We never see any of his destiny being fulfilled other than he kills some Philistines. But what happens is he starts hanging out with some really bad ladies. He just never dealt with the little foxes. And then they, he cuts his hair off. They cut his hair off, breaks his vow to God, loses his strength. They blind him, put him in chains. And then he spends the rest of his life using his strength for the Philistines and grinding you know, the grain in prison. Now, that's what some of you feel like right now. But I want to say by the Spirit of God, it's not too late to deal with those foxes. God can return it. I mean, in the end, Samson's life ends in a miracle, but he can actually return it right now. Like he wouldn't, God never reveals what he won't heal. And I feel like God is saying like, look, let's go after the little foxes right now. Here's how it could have been with Samson. Samson could have been in a small group. He could have had a band of brothers. One day they're kind of hanging out doing stupid guy stuff. And all of a sudden, one of his brothers is just like, I'm tired of my sisters being tormented by the Philistine soldiers. Another one's like, I'm just tired that my mom feels fear when they come into town and they do whatever they want. And one's like, I'm tired that my daughter is afraid of them. And somebody else says, you know what we should do? This is daring when you have men and women who dare each other on to good works, to kingdom works. Why don't we catch a bunch of little foxes today? Why don't we send them through the field of the, the green fields? And somebody's like, what are you going to do when the Philistines come after us? And they're like, Samson has a gift of strength. What if they'd have pushed him into that? What if he could have escaped the entire horrible thing that he was responsible for in the beginning? And what if they would have just gone to beating the Philistines and lifting the yoke of the Philistines off their neck? Because God does not want you answering the Philistines forever. God wants you to be free. He wants your family to be free. Some of us wish that it was different, but you still haven't dealt with the little foxes. If you got what you wanted from God, you would have little foxes in there and it's going to destroy your life. What if you'd go after the little foxes with me? Spurgeon says, if you would live with Christ and walk with Christ and see Christ and have fellowship with Christ, take heed of the little foxes. Jesus invites you to go with him and take them. He will surely, like Samson, take the foxes at once and easily. Go home with this. Go with him to the hunting.